This is Molly Livingstone on the Mid-East Beast, and I'm with... Alex Giles, Editor-in-Chief, over in London. And we are taking the Mid-East Beast from the pages of the internet to the medium of podcast, bringing you all the satirical news you ever wanted and also did not want. I'm based here in Israel. Alex, you're over in England, and you are the editor-in-chief, so... That's what it says on my business card, Molly. That is true. (laughs) Well, we'll see if you can uh, prove it. Our goal here with this podcast is we are going to bring the Mideast Peace to podcast. So we're going to talk about all the amazing satirical news that you guys write and why. Uh, a little behind the scenes action, a little thought provoking action. And of course, we'll also have interviews with famous people, infamous people, reporters, all those people behind the scenes and maybe people you don't like. Should we get started, Alex? Let's get started. I can't wait. Okay, so you chose, as the article we were going to talk about, one of the ones you wrote. Because <laughs> they are the best ones. I mean, uh, clearly, let's, let's, let's make no bones about it. Yes. Yes. Um, for those that uh, don't know, which would be pretty much everybody, apart from you and my mother, uh, <laughs> I am Marcus Thunderbolt on, on, the, uh, on the website. Oh. I, I chose that name because uh, that's really what I always wanted to be called. Yeah, that's, and I think that's just, just a cool, cool name. Satirical porn name. I like that. So, uh, yeah. so you've just revealed yourself. Yeah, I know. I've, I've, I've come out, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, so yes, we thought Zelda. we'd talk about this, this article, uh, Saudi King to Trump. Thanks, you can go now. Which has been quite popular this week. Which is, which is great. That's, uh, that's nice to see. I mean, all, all of the writers. We don't really do it for the money. We just do it for the praise. And so we can shout, look at me, uh, look at me. I think I speak for, for all the team. So it's always nice when uh, we, we write an article and it gets uh, a lot of likes, a lot of comments, a lot of shares. Yeah, that, that's what we like to see. So give us a little background then about the article. It's mainly about the typical presidential visit to the Saudi kingdom, getting the medal, uh, doing the whole, you know, dance, as you put it, the white boy dance. Doing the white man dance. You know, even, even Obama who you would think you could you could have perhaps hoped had some, you know, frankly had a little bit of rhythm. He did the white man dance when he went to Saudi Arabia. I don't know whether there's something in the water over there that just ruins rhythm. But it's, uh, it's fair to say for everyone that hasn't seen Trump, President Trump, trying to do the, the sword dance, it, it's well worth 10 seconds of your time on YouTube to watch him do it. It's not as good as Steve Bannon's uh, expression on his face when you see that he's surrounded by Arabs and the look that essentially says that he thinks at any moment they're going to rip the human skin off their faces and reveal themselves to be the lizards that he's <laughs> sure they must be. Um, I really recommend that on YouTube if you haven't seen those, those couple of clips. So was that inspiration for you in writing this article? I, I, I think actually it was it was the idea. It, it came from you know Trump supporting websites, and we can talk about that in later podcasts. Where it was seen that him going to Saudi Arabia and being greeted by the king and signing this massive arms deal was in some shape or form a unique art of the deal thing that Trump was doing. When of course anyone that can remember back further than oh let's say two years, four years, will will appreciate that this is exactly what happens for every American president or British Prime Minister, or French President, when they turn up in, in Saudi Arabia. You know, you, you sign the big, the big arms deal, and uh, here, here, in, here in the UK, Saudi Arabia is, is one, if not our largest 
uh, importer of, of our military equipment. So you, you, you sign that, you get your photograph taken with a, with a falcon in the desert, and then you have to do the, the dance, which I'm sure the Saudi king and princes just make them do for, for shits and giggles. <laughs> I don't think they do it, but I think it's a good idea. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just this, this, this concept of, of, of exceptionalism that was rushing about. And uh, it's not just when President Trump does it. I'm, I'm sure when we, we, we look back at articles, you, you would see that with, with Obama, when he went, you know, people were saying, isn't this exceptional in some, in some shape or form? Right. So then let me ask you this, because this actually brings up another component that we want on the Mideast Peace podcast, which is the educational thought-provoking side. Here's what we wanted to bring up in our limited amount of time, because we want to keep it short and simple. How do we satirize news when the whole situation is already being satirized just in and of itself. I mean, it you know, anything that Trump kind of does and that makes headlines, and not just Trump, to be fair, I think this is even Brexit, you could agree, anything, especially in the Middle East, you almost catch yourself and say, am I reading a real headline, whatever that is, or is that a Mideast Beast headline? So how do you, as an editor-in-chief, deal with that? It's a great question. We live in a world where the President of the United States can arrive in Israel and, and in his first press conference say, you may not realise I've just come back from the Middle East. <laughs> and everybody sort of reports that that's a real headline. That's not a satirical headline. You have an environment in which the guy that he's appointed to solve or to create Middle East peace is his son-in-law, some you know, 38-year-old <laughs> property investor and you, you you read an article that says he's now going to be the chap that's going to, to create peace and you think is that something that we that we wrote is that something that uh, you know the onion wrote and no that's 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 a wall street journal or a mm-hmm. new york times piece how do you live in that world where the main players almost are satirizing themselves all of the time and for us the main issue is that people just read the headline and they've now come to expect that any headline is real yeah. Particularly, of course, if it conforms to their existing belief, you know, the confirmation bias that we we see, and we we see that really in the comments on on the articles when you'll see, you know, lots of people quoting fake news and not understanding that that's satire. So you know, anything that's comedically or biting or critical of the position they hold, they don't see it as an attempt to look at the other side of the argument. They just see it as something that must be fake. And of course, using the word liberal together with that as well, you know, liberal has become a swear word, which I, I'm not sure it ever was before. I'm not sure when that happened. Interesting. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. What do you think? Well, as you're speaking, I know for a fact that I've been a fan of the Mideast Beast, and they don't pay me to say that. And I have posted things and people have thought it was legit, real and, you know, written in my comments sort of, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do next kind of fear. And it's amazing to see that. I mean, it's either gold if you're a comedian or, you know, it's horror and terror if you're just a human being that's saying this is the world I live in. When you're talking about the comments, I know that we're going to wrap this up, this first part. We, of course, when we come back, we're going to have Raoul Woodliffe from Times of Israel discuss Trump's visit here this week and the money part of that, the Yad Vashem Holocaust part of that, and the in-betweens that maybe not all of us got to see from his helicopter landing pad. But tell me, the comments of the week, this is important. And this does show kind of both sides, right? We're going to have a positive comment, a negative comment of the people reading the 
Midi's Beast online with over, I think it's almost 30,000 people on Facebook, 11,000 people on Twitter. And uh, to give that plug right now, of course, you can find it on Facebook at Midi's Beast, online at midi'sbeast.com, and on Twitter at Mideast Beasties. So uh, what'd you find for us, Alex? Well, I've, I've got two. As you say, we're trying to uh, find people saying uh, nice things. You might be surprised to find oh, um, not as not as easy as finding people saying batshit crazy stuff. There's plenty of batshit crazy stuff to pick. So, so on the on, on the batshit uh, end of things, we'd like to uh, shout out here to, to Russ Downing. Uh, Russ, if you're listening, uh, we appreciated uh, greatly your comment, and I'm just going to quote you here: "What a bunch of morons!" Thanks, thanks for us. Nobody is laughing. nobody's laughing nobody has asked him to leave this is referring to to trump he's already been treated with more respect than the criminal in chief the bummer ever was now i'm going to take a stab in the dark i think he's referring there to president obama i think bummer (laughs) is a a clever little play on his name there i'm thinking uh being met at the airplane with the red carpet by the king when the bummer I think again that's that's, that's Obama. I think uh, got off to nobody, and I'm not I'm not sure about the got off to nobody. I'm, not, I'm is that like you know his, the Air Force One arrived at sort of two in the morning when, when Obama turned up, and yeah. it was just him and and, and and the visa guy stamping it. And they all sort of stood outside. <laughs> I, I can't remember. We'd have to go and check uh, the news where that happened. But uh, but I, but I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm uh, reading too much into this. But uh, mm-hmm. but Russ goes on, put all the spin on it you want, flakes of snow. Uh, so that's an extended version of snowflakes, I think, Molly. Is, yeah. that, is that what that is? I'm just Flakes thinking how that's an insult. Is it racist and he's calling you white? It's not clear to me. I, I like snow, but it, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's your fake news <laughs> if Yar want to call it news. I'm not going to do the accent. He, he is you just saying Yar. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. Does that make him Texan? Or you know, Molly, you'll have to help me out there with, with the accents later. Um, there's a difference in news and bullshit. This is, once again, male bovine excrement. Ooh. So at the end there, you know, I think Russ, you know, kudos because you're showing a little bit of uh, stretch there yep. in, in your vocab. So that's cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, thanks, Russ. Um, Thank you, nice. Russ. I think he'll write again, too, because if uh, he's listening, he, he's probably going to get out some more of that bovine of his own and share. I, 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 we hope he does, because it's people like the Russ that, that keep us going. Yeah. Um, and Molly, you did ask for, for a nice comment. I think so. We'll end that. Uh, yeah, let's end it on a nice comment. I would like to uh, like to thank Scott Cooper for this, Scott, if you're listening. Scott says, I congratulate the Middies Beast on a superb counter to the latest actual news piece to result from Trump's gauntlet toss. I like the idea of, of Trump tossing <laughs> gauntlet. gauntlets around. Does he, are, are they are they little gauntlets for his mm. little hands? I don't know how big they would be, how much danger that would be. It was a little chair for the Turkish guy, and now it's a little gauntlet for the American. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. However, I'm afraid he is still beating this fine paper. I think he means us fine paper. I'm saying, yes, Scott, mm-hmm. thanks, man. If we were giving prizes, you would get a prize. Yeah. In the article's headlines... From the latest news, and, and, and Scott is, is, is coming back to something that we, we, we've talked about, Trump tells room full of Israelis in Israel he's just got back from the Middle East. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> and on that fine note, satirical or real, you'll find it on the Mideast Beast right in the comments what you have to say 
You have just been listening to, of course, Editor-in-Chief Alex Giles, or better known as Marcus Thunderbolt, and Molly Livingstone. We have brought you the Mid-East Beast podcast. When we come back from break, we are going to talk to Raoul Woodliffe from Times of Israel, who got to be on the scenes with President Trump all over Israel, including his 15-minute tour of Yad Vashem. We'll be right back. We're back on the Mideast Beast podcast. You're listening to Molly Livingstone. I am based here in Israel. And on the line with us, we have Raoul Woodliffe, Knesset correspondent for Times of Israel. Raoul, you actually got to be with Trump in one of his most significant moments. I say moments because it really was just uh, 15 minutes at the Yad Vashem Holocaust Museum. You wrote an article before. He came here, the Holocaust elevator pitch, perfected for Trump. And then you were there when it happened. So let's delve into his visit, starting with, of course, of all things, the Holocaust. Well, I mean, his overall visit was obviously a fascinating trip to Israel. Um, <laughs> and every, you know, for, for people like me, Every moment of it, we were following with bated breath to see what would happen. Overall, in many respects, it was a successful visit. He didn't step out of line too much. He didn't go off script too much. But there were, of course, a few incredible moments that that you couldn't even imagine with another president or foreign leader. And at Yad Vashem, there was one of those moments. There was a lot spoken about before his trip. It was a very short trip to Yad Vashem. Possibly he wasn't even going to go. And while he was there, it was a respectful trip. And he spoke and gave a speech about the six million Jews and, and eternalizing their memory. But the one moment that for me stood out of his whole trip as something completely mind-blowing was the message that he wrote in the Yad Vashem Book of Remembrance. Beyond the headlines or the news stories that come out of any trip or any visit of any foreign leader, these books are the history of the country. In the Knesset, in the speaker of the Knesset's office, he has a huge bookcase of the books of signatures and messages from foreign leaders. It's the same at Yad Vashem. This is a piece of history that the foreign leader is giving. <laughs> and the message that Donald Trump wrote in, in this book is, I'm, going to, I'm just going to read the full, the full message, is, it is a great honor to be here with all of my friends. So amazing. And will never forget, with an exclamation mark and a little circle underneath it, signed Donald Trump. That was the message that he signed. (laughs) Now, I tweeted that the only thing was missing from that message was, see you next summer. (laughs) Because if you you look at the message, it it literally could be a message in in a book at the end of camp. Yearbook in America, we have those, and that's how he wrote it. For me, the fascinating thing was watching him him write this, this message. Him standing there, the prime minister behind him, the first lady... The chairman of Yad Vashem, Rabbi Lau, the former chief rabbi um, of Israel, who was a Holocaust survivor, all standing next to him. And he wrote this message very seriously. It looked very serious and a very respectful moment. Then they closed the book and he gave his speech. After I'd seen what he wrote, I went back and watched that video again, following along with the, with the handwriting to see as he wrote it. And it's extraordinary. He writes this message. It's a great honor to be here with all my friends. So amazing. Then he takes a pause looks over what he's written and thinks, what could I add to this to make it perfect? <laughs> and, and, then, and then he adds, and will never forget, exclamation mark. 
And then he must think to himself, nailed it. Oh, my that's, God. that's it. Signs the message. That's it. That's my contribution, my historic contribution to Israel, my message of, yeah. uh, of the Holocaust. Now, like I said, his speech was good. It was a moving event there at the Avashem. But this message, just for me, it, it, it's, it, it's mind-blowing how anyone can see that as a, as a respectful and appropriate message of the president to, to leave, uh, uh, leave at Yad Vashem. I think he's so used to writing on Twitter that he forgets how to actually, you know, embrace the English language. And I'm just kind of waiting for you to tell me he did like hashtag killed it or hashtag six million, hashtag never again. Like I just, there's so much. It was a bit like that. In fact, I, I checked, and you could fit that message onto a tweet. There it is. There it um, is. It was nearly like, if it was on a tweet, never forget would have been a hashtag. But For sure. It really was. that. Uh, just to be clear, there's been a lot of comparisons between Barack Obama's message, which was very long and very heartful, Hillary Clinton's, which was very long and very heartful as well. George Bush Jr., when he came and left the message, he just wrote, with respect, George Bush, which was very short. Um, yes. Of course, didn't have any you know, long message about remembrance of the Holocaust. But in many ways, it was it was more respectful than this, I think, yeah. to write. Hey. It's a great, great honor. So amazing. And we'll never forget. I think it's a, a very odd message from a president. I think, you know, if he didn't use like emoji, sad faced or poop emoji, like in a way, you know, it is important what he wrote. <laughs> you, just, you think how bad it could have been. All right. You know what? You told us before we got on the radio, some really just startling breaking news about their meals that they had together with the Netanyahu's, which sounds like a TV show I would never watch. But yeah, tell me. Well, throughout the whole trip, it really was a... uh a love fest between the Netanyahu's and the and the Trumps. I think someone had briefed Donald Trump to mention Sarah Netanyahu as many times as possible in speeches. The Prime Minister's wife. Stay away I, from her alcoholic. Uh, I, I counted eight times in different speeches that he thanked Sarah Netanyahu and specifically mentioned her. That's a good drinking game. All right, yeah. go on. <laughs> well, there was one very interesting moment at the airport before the dinner, which is Sarah Netanyahu was talking to Melania Trump, and she says to her. We're very, we've got a lot in common. The media hate us, but the people love us. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, Melania Trump re- replies, yes, we do have a lot of common. And then Sarah Netanyahu says, we'll speak about this more at dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, maybe they do have a lot in common. Maybe the media does dislike them. Maybe the people do, do love them. But it was a fascinating insight into how they both see each other. And that dinner that took place was at the Prime Minister's house. There was uh, cameras there at the beginning of it, but the main dinner was closed. While the cameras were there, it's not clear if they knew that they were being recorded or the cameras could pick up what they were saying. But Sarah Netanyahu told them that they had had their whole house renovated and painted for the Trump's visit. The issue of the Prime Minister's house and the expenses that the Netanyahu's have spent there has been long discussed in the media with the price of uh, pistachio ice cream that yeah, the Prime Minister spent. ice spends. cream budget is shocking. But they have always maintained that the Prime Minister's residence is not a flashy, over-the-top place. And before the last election, Sarah Netanyahu took a house designer, a TV celebrity around her house to show how dumpy it was. Yeah. What a state it really is. And the truth is I've been there. It's not in. Yeah, it's not nice. I've been there too. Top state. But nonetheless, it was, it was interesting to hear that they, they painted the whole place for Trump. The meal itself was quite something. The chef, Segev Moshe, said, speaking to, to the media before the meal, that he had been asked to prepare a menu based on peace, 
love and gold. Um, <laughs> obviously, obviously, Trump's three favourite things. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and there was some. The whole menu was based was based around Jerusalem and New York. And in fact, during the meal, an Israeli singer sang to them. The four of them, which I think might be a little bit awkward, just for people sitting there. She sang Jerusalem of Gold, Yushalayim Shazav, and New York, New York. Oh, um, God. And, uh, worst party ever. Yeah. At least they didn't do karaoke, I guess. <laughs> that, that, that's something I definitely want to see. Yeah. At the, uh, at the end of the meal, well, there was a photo put out that at the end of the meal, the dessert chocolates that were served to them were served on a face, on a plate that was made of a silhouette of the two faces of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and President Trump together, looking away from each other. Um, and on top of that face were the chocolates. So they, oh. they literally ate chocolate off each other's faces. Oh, my gosh. Well, I've always said they have a bromance. I think if you remember, Bibi Netanyahu's first visit to America was scheduled during Valentine's Day. So uh, this just shows they are yin and yang. You just flip those faces around and you've got one hell of a gay marriage on your hands. I really want to thank you, Rao, for sharing everything. Um, I was going to ask you all the real questions, like, is it true they spent $100 million on this visit? But you know what? The insider info that you gave us, uh, especially for the Mideast Beast, while it sounds fake, was 100% legit and real. You are Rao Wootliff, the Knesset correspondent of Times of Israel. How can people follow you online? You can follow me on Twitter at Raoul Wootliff, R-A-O-U-L-W-O-O-T-L-I-F-F. And in fact, my nickname is the Mideast Beast, so it's quite fitting. Yeah, well, that might be what your wife calls you, but everyone else doesn't. Thanks, Raoul. We're going to wrap things up here on the first episode of Mideast Beast. That's the first of many to come. I want to, of course, thank our producer, Scott Kahn. And on behalf of Alex, we are going to say farewell and see you soon.